As we conclude our Season 1 episodes in December, we're eager to hear from you about your preferences for Season 2 programming. You can send us an email, a message on LinkedIn, or send a voice message on our website. We value your input and appreciate your continued support. Remember to explore our continuing education programs on the Multicultural Counseling Institute's website. Now onward to today's episode. Indigenous cultures hold a profound and intricate understanding of healing and wellness, deeply intertwined with their connection to community, spirituality, and the natural world. For psychologists seeking deeper meaning in their practice and exploring alternative approaches to client connection, what are the wisdoms passed down through generations of indigenous knowledge? What are the examples in embracing a holistic approach that honors the interconnectedness of mind, body, and spirit, and to translate that to psychotherapy practice? In the past several decades, Latinx psychologists and professional organizations have embarked on a journey to rediscover indigenous practices, seeking to integrate them in therapeutic approaches that resonate with the diverse populations they serve. What might that look like at the community level and going beyond the individualistic level? Welcome to People of Color in Psychology, the show that explores mental health topics specific to culture, diversity, and communities of color. I am your host, Jack Zen. Our guest today is Dr. Manuel Zamadripa, the co-director and co-founder of the Institute of Chicana, Chicano, Chicana X Psychology based in Austin, Texas. He is a trained licensed psychologist, clinician, college dean, and currently the president of the National Latinx Psychological Association. As a previous academic program director and associate professor, he was awarded the University of Texas System Chancellor's Innovations in Education Award in 2007. Dr. Zamaripa has been featured on NPR and in the LA Times. Dr. Zamaripa's publications and presentations in psychology and education focuses on Chicana, Chicano, Chicana X well-being, racial responsiveness, cultural revitalization, social justice and leadership. Currently, as part of his work at the Institute of Chicana, Chicano, Chicana X Psychology, Dr. Zamaripa conducts community workshop practicas as well as professional development training for educators and mental health professionals on issues related to the Chicana, Chicano, and Chicana X wellness, cultural identity, and mental health from that perspective. Today, Dr. Zamaripa will be discussing the way in which he is using liberation and healing through his work at the Institute and the leadership as the current president in NLPA. We like to invite listeners to learn more about the Institute, sign up for the newsletter, as well as connect with the larger work being done through the National Latinx Psychological Association. Dr. Zamaripa, thank you so much for being on the People of Color in Psychology podcast. Thank you so much. Uh, I really appreciate the invitation and all the work that you're doing 
with this podcast. It's fantastic. Well, you're welcome. And I was looking for guests and I did not realize that you're actually based here in Austin, Texas. So I'm delighted because I'm based here in Austin as well. Isn't that funny? It's wild. Yeah, we didn't realize that. So hopefully after all this, you know, we can find some time to connect in person. Yeah, yeah, I would love that. Now, you know, you've done some amazing work. I mean, all the different roles that you have taken on throughout the years. Before we get into that, can you walk us through your journey, share with us any memorable events and circumstances that may have influenced how you got into this work? I appreciate that. Yeah, I, I think for me, I have memories as a child growing up in San Antonio, Texas. For whatever reason, I, I think I was very aware of the racial and ethnic dynamics. And in San Antonio, there's a history of primarily, you know, uh, Chicano or Mexican American or Latinx community and the larger white community. We have a strong, of course, African American population as well as others, but that's kind of been the, the, you know, the, the more recent history of that community. So I was always aware of those dynamics, and I think what initially got me interested was the uh, educational equities or dis or inequities that I noticed. But as my interest grew, as I you know as I, as I grew up. I really felt that the best way to address some of that was through the field of psychology. And I was always happy to see that psychology had always had some role in addressing inequities, I think more so in, in more recent history. But so I, you know, I was I, I was always trying to, from a young age, see how psychology could could really support the the movements towards social justice and, and equality. And I remember in college, one of the things that stands out to me is I was in the library researching some type of paper that I was going to, I forgot what type of paper, but I was doing research. And I, by accident, came across a book with the title Chicano Psychology. And this was in the early 90s. And of course, the story that so many of us are familiar with is, wow, I didn't know that people were doing this work, you know, whether it's other, you know, BIPOC communities, you know, uh, work that has been done by a, a lot of our communities over the centuries, but not acknowledged, right, or not mainstreamed. So that was my personal experience as well. It's like, wow, I had no idea this existed. And so looking through that, I saw it was published in the 1970s. So even further, uh, you know, amazement that if it was published in the 70s, well, then people have been doing the work even before that. So that was that awakening. And and that was the first time I was able to really clearly see a path to intentionally integrate this sense of social justice, equality, civil rights with the psychology that I wanted to do. That was coming across that book was it was important because it showed that people had been doing it. And up to then, I had been thinking to myself, how am I going to integrate this on my own? So that was key. I think as, as I continue to learn more about that history and try to continue with some of the work that has been, you know, that had been done, that led me to early on my interactions and my role with the NLPA, the National Latinx Psychological Association, because through my discovery of all the work that had been done, 
it kind of happened around the time that NLP began to formulate. You know, it it had its roots in the 70s as the National Hispanic Psychological Association that was discontinued for over a decade. And so then when the National Latinx Psychological Association happened early in my in my career, it was right around the that time where I had been doing all this discovery. So it was a nice continuity to see, you know, the the work was continuing. And 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 obviously I think the last piece for me was about 10, about 15 years ago, where I also began to everyone's talking about well not everyone, a lot of people are talking about this idea of decolonization and and I that started coming into that in my own life, reconnecting to uh, indigenous roots and indigenous ways of being, along with my my life partner, my wife, my my duality. And so as a family, we had found connections and began walking, you know, what a lot of indigenous people call walking the red road, which is walking a path that is primarily guided by indigenous ways of being and knowing. And so I knew a little bit of our history, which is that, you know, in, in the United States, our, our native and indigenous people are you know, Native Americans from what we call the Northern Northern Natives. But as we know, this whole continent was indigenous before the Europeans came, right? So, so even though we do have this identity, which is true over the last 500 years of, you know, a Latinx identity in general, it's also been important to me in the work that we do that we really truly don't just acknowledge like, oh yes, we have indigenous roots and we have European roots, but that we really understand what it means to have indigenous roots. And that can mean a lot of things to a lot of people, but so all of that has kind of culminated or has culminated in the the formation of the Institute. And it's also been the guide for the work that I've been doing over the last couple of years with the, the National Latinx Psychological Association. So it's been nice to be able to walk in those two worlds. Yeah. Well, it's definitely quite a path you took to start from early on recognizing some of the inequities in education, which I'd be curious, actually, early on, what did you notice? And then as you're noticing those inequities, formulating a uh, sort of a blueprint to try to figure out why this was happening and going beyond it and discovering that, oh, psychology has a place to help me answer some of this. And as you were describing, opening that textbook, uh, I can't help but also light up because it must have felt so nice to be able to connect and identify with, you know, your culture, your identity, and see that on paper and in many ways affirmed that, hey, we matter, our viewpoints matter. Uh, And then of course, the development and emergence of decolonial approach, that is another topic of discussion too that I'd be curious uh, from your lens. And all that coming together to where you are today, having the Institute, doing trainings, and also being a leader in the NLPA, I think that is quite a fantastic journey. So with that, you know, kind of going back, what were some of the inequities that you noticed early on? Thank you. Yes, I think 
again, for me, in my context of San Antonio, Texas, at least through my experience and in, in my eyes, you know, as, as a young kid, I was really able to notice and see some of those differences in education opportunities and to notice that a lot of the brown kids and where there were other ethnic minority kids, kids to see that the schools that were attended were, you know, through a kid's eyes, right, never seemed to be, you know, always seemed to be struggling. Uh, I'll add another layer because both my parents were working class, but they were able to move from an area in San Antonio that was long, you know, Chicano, Mexican, American, Latinx community, overwhelmingly low socioeconomic status to a more lower to middle-class neighborhood where I grew up, but all of our family still lived in the other body of the neighborhood. So we were always going back and I, it, would always, it always kept that connection for me. Another layer was that my parents were really big in Catholic school education, right? So me and my sister went to elementary school and Catholic school education, and they were always talking about how dangerous public school kids were. It was this narrative that as a kid, I, I almost had a fear of if there was a kid walking down the block and I thought they were from public school, I, I just didn't want to talk to them because of all of this kind of narrative in these schools about you know, how dangerous public school kids were. And of course, they were always darker skinned, or, you know, they were always, you know, the kids uh, that were kids of color. And so I can articulate all this now, but those kind of were these pieces that stuck with me. And, and of course, my parents always kind of talked a little bit about cultural pride and, and always, you know, politics always came up here and there about, you know, the poor people and the, you know, the people of color always kind of getting the short end of the stick. And so I think I was able to put the, and, and I'm kind of, I'm, I don't know if you can see the camera or not, but, you know, I'm pretty brown skinned. And one of the things I remember is uh, noticing just that my arms were, my forearms were browner. I just have that memory, just noticing that they were brown as compared, compared to a lot of my other classmates. And so, when I kind of had those inklings, then through like middle school and high school, when you, when you learn kind of history and civics and all of that, I started, you know, noticing that where there was a civil rights movement, so there were struggles for desegregation. I started poking at the history around San Antonio and, of course, noticed that, you know, that uh, Mexican-Americans were also, you know, segregated um, throughout the Southwest and other places. I started, for some reason, discovering the, the school district's lawsuits for equal funding in, you know, uh, the inequitable funding. And San Antonio School District turned out to be the, uh, the most famous equity, inequity in terms of school funding case in U.S. history. And it took like 20 years. Ultimately, the Supreme Court came down with the decision that Equal education, the education is not a fundamental right. Um, oh, and so, and so that was all in and around San Antonio. So I, I kind of was in this environment and for some, I think just all those pieces kind of made me attuned to this. And so where psychology comes into this is as I began to learn about psychology more. Of course, there's the mental health piece, right? The clinical counseling, but it's a larger field. And, and what 
where I saw psychology is that it always had within it the study of identity development and cultural identity development and ethnic identity development. And I began to notice, of course, that a lot of my peers, we really didn't get validation or education of our own history and our own identity development. So that when I was learning all these things and some of my friends cared about it, some of them did it, you know, I was talking, what, what occurred to me was like, you know, we really, nothing really enforces and validates and grows our sense of who we are culturally. It's like we're invisible. And so, and so that's where, that's what led me really into the field of psychology was the, the work in uh, identity development. And then of course, how that connects to our overall wellness or overall well-being, just our general sense of having a solid sense of self. Hmm. It's uh, it's almost as though it's a consequence of racism, racist structures, where mm-hmm. our identity development just isn't addressed and eventually just washed away. And hence, I think it's a very important journey that many psychologists must take, especially BIPOC psychologists, to be able to do this self-exploration. And now, the the work that you're doing with your institute, can you tell me more uh, what you're doing for the community? What are you doing with clients? Like, tell me more about your institute. Thank you so much. One of the things we wanted to do with the institute was, it's more of a community-based institute in other words it's not connected to to another like university or or it's freestanding and one of the things that i loved about discovering chicano psychology and all the connections and looking at all the work that that a lot of these psychologists were doing one of the things of course that stood out for me was how can i communicate this to to my community that I can see would benefit. So, you know, when I first started in the field, I went into academia, you know, I got tenure, I did all those things that were really great. And and so, but I ultimately left, not, I always say it wasn't a bad divorce, you know, a contentious divorce. It was just simply these other voices were calling this, you know, it, to be more intentional. So what I wanted to do was, take what was being done, some of the stuff I was doing, but others, and communicate it in a way that made sense to the community. So we started having these community workshop platicas, you know, in Spanish, just kind of like gatherings, talk about issues like identity and, you know, family relationships, family interactions, spirituality, which is, you know, really an important piece. All the different areas that we could hear our community was struggling with and needed support around. And so we would integrate some of the work that was being done, some of the research in a format that, you know, wasn't like a, a presentation, but it was in a format that we used some key information, but then we really engaged and had the community also ask questions, respond, interact, and just made it very applicable to you know what made sense for them so it was a back and forth like what's going on in this area we hear you what are the struggles what's happening oh and as you're saying that here's some of this research that's been done by these 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 psychologists how does that connect or not connect to where you're at to what you're doing and people began to respond to that 
And we were doing it because we just felt like this is a gap. And so we didn't know whether people were going to respond or not. We just felt it was the right thing to do. So of course, though, you know, from my training, I also wanted to connect with clinicians to kind of deepen, uh, have other conversations around how do we really connect with our clients of color, with Latinx clients. So based on this work, we also started offering clinical trainings. Some of the initial ones were like browning your counseling, you know, and we do a Chicanx affirmative therapy training. And, and so we started saying like, well, we have to do both community workshops and and offering clinical trainings. And so that's kind of the format we've been we would be following and people have been responding and connecting so it's been a good evolution and so if folks are interested in learning more about these workshops and learning to work with latinx chicano communities and you're delivering these workshops for clinicians is that correct yes we do clinician workshops as well yes for sure okay okay um so we'll post your contact information on the show notes so they can definitely reach out the other part too you mentioned, which is this deep connection and, and you know, we are right now in the month of November doing this recording. And, and of course, you know, the hope is that we're creating a Native American heritage series. So can you tell me more about some of the indigenous work that you're doing? Thank you. Yes. Yeah, like, so yeah, all of this have been, has been developing in real time with me and in my personal and professional life. And one of the things that I began noticing was as, as I began to, as me and my family began to reconnect to indigenous ways of knowing, indigenous healing and spirituality, learning from, you know, we have our elder here in Austin and, and, other surrounding elders that have been walking this path is of course, every people have their way of looking at the world and looking at what they call on in their experience for health and healing and wellness. And so, so as we began to connect to our, you know, primarily Mexica or Aztec ways of knowing, recognizing that there were a lot of different peoples in that area but just that's the that's the medicine we connect with you know we we honor sacred energies that are around us and every sacred energy has a way of helping us be in balance and so just on my own in that path noticing that as a psychologist where some of these parallels were so for example almost all indigenous peoples connect with the four sacred elements you know, around us, earth, wind, fire, water. Everyone has a little bit different interpretation and connection with that based on their, their experience. But the element of the wind is also the element of our breath, which connects to our voice. So it began to occur to me like, well, as clinicians, we use our voice often. And so we began to invite people that wanted to connect and to, to learn more, invite them to, to, 
to think about, to connect with. Well, you can do this work as a clinician and if you want to connect spiritually, this is what we're offering. So when you're doing your healing work, we invite you to connect to the sacred element of the wind. So whenever you go outside, you feel the breeze, you know, that is a reminder. Like, are you using, for example, your voice in a way that you want? Are you in alignment? Or even with clients, you know, making that suggestion, like if they are having struggles with their voice, you know, when you go outside and you feel the wind, you feel the air, you know, we invite you to, if you'd like, to see that that can also be a connection to the sacred element of the wind. And it could be your reminder, are you using your voice in the way you want to? And so for me, that is also psychology 101, because then people are like, well, I'm very careful about wisdom and knowledge versus ceremony. I just don't do ceremony with everyone because that can be very sacred and important. But ways of knowing can also, you know, can be helpful. So as therapists, we'll like, well, set a random timer to remember what we talked about, put a rubber band around your wrist. Like if you think of the template, people have always had ways of helping, but it, we can, but we haven't connected with indigenous ways of knowing. Everything's Western, everything's passed down to us, which is not bad, right? But what it does on a larger scale is like, I'm dealing with my community. We all have our own histories, right? My community that has always been taught that psychology and healing is from Western ways, which the mainstream is, right? And this is the way to help. What I've been saying is, I invite you to think about the fact that your ancestors also had very similar ways of healing and wellness. And if you want to talk about balance, you know, there's the Ometeo, you know, in Mexico, Ome meaning two and Nahuatl meaning creation or sacredness. And so it's just the sacredness of two, of duality, of balance. And so for us, mental health is being in balance and mental struggles is being out of balance. So you can take a workshop from a Western perspective, which is fine, about how to balance your life. And or you can connect with this idea of the Ometeo, which comes from your lineage, which comes from your ancestral DNA, which you can connect with. And for me, that is goes back to what you were saying earlier. How do we become culturally affirmed when everything is being erased? Well, one way is to know that as I learn about my healing and as I get mentally imbalanced, at a minimum, I'm using frameworks and frameworks is, I hesitate to use that, that's Western because these are very like uh, passed down, I say sacred concepts, right? Oh, you can do the the Western, you know, get in balance workshop, or you can connect to the ways in which your ancestors found balance. And so our kids can say, hey, we know this stuff and it comes from us. There's nothing wrong with learning something new, but it's like the only way to get healthy and well, our community has found like a lot of communities of color is to learn the white Western way we don't always say call it that but and so what's really important is like can you find your indigenous ways and there is some really great culturally responsive psychology which can walk alongside these indigenous ways if it's in alignment but 
I think that's true for all people of color. And that's why it's like, if we reconnect to some of those ways, then, then we can have that direct and indirect learning that this comes from our own peoples. And I think that does a lot for cultural affirmation, for cultural identity development, for a sense of pride and wellness and well-being. And so connecting to, as I said, the elements is one way, just a small example in our time here, but everyone has like sacred energies of the seasons. We're gonna be, we're into, we're in fall right now. So for a lot, a lot of Nahuatl and Mexica speaking, and Mexica peoples, that's the sacred energy of Xipatotec, which sheds its own skin, but not in a Western violent way to let things go, right? And so a lot of communities, we all know that fall is when the leaves fall in autumn, but there was a real sacred intentional connection to this time of the year where you let things fall. You, you let things that don't serve you fall away. How are you gonna do that? I mean, you can see really easily how that can integrate into mental health work clinical work. We're coming into winter. Winter is a time of reflection. Winter is a time of introspection. Winter is the time of our ancestors. And so this could be a time like where maybe we don't produce as much. Maybe we stop, you know, saying yes to appointments. Maybe we reflect. Maybe we pause. Maybe we see the good things about winter and the darkness of winter. Like, how can that be helpful? And so to me, that's where I see what I call, that's part of our liberation and our healing is reconnecting to some of these ways. And it's not about romanticizing them. You know, it's just each of our communities should be able to articulate and connect with the ways that all of our communities have healed and benefit from culturally responsive Western psychology as well. But I think we inadvertently except that that way of psychology is you know the way and and i think that's been part of what we've been trying to put out there is that it's it can be a good way but not the only way gosh i thank you so much for sharing this with me and i love the way you are very diligent and honoring the language and how you describe say the wisdom practices that have been passed down by generations of the indigenous both. And rather than using the word framework, right? This is the wisdom that they yes. have passed on. And it's so practical where we're stepping outside, there's the wind, there's the sun, there's heat. Mm -hmm. And in many ways, we've lost the connection to that. And thank you for bringing that awareness piece because it feels so freeing and liberating as you were describing the process to me. And I hope listeners, as they are listening to this, that they themselves also felt a little bit of that vitality that you just shared with us. So I really appreciate that. So the part about being the president of NLPA. Yes, yes. You have a lot on your plate. Y'all just had a, <laughs> uh, a conference and so, I'm wondering what would you like our listeners to know about NLPA? I think I would invite all of our listeners to please look at the NLPA website. It's a really exciting time for our organization, whether you're Latinx or whether you're an ally or want to know more, 
because what NLP does is it brings together so such a wealth of knowledge of people that have knowledge that have been doing this for their whole career. And that's when I talk about, you know, the trainings that I do, but I tap into what some of these great, also these other great researchers are doing, you know, that helps guide the work that I'm doing. I'm so grateful that they are in there doing the work and NLPA allows people to have, be in community with with all of those that are kind of at the forefront of Latinx psychology. And we have some people that have been doing this for 30, 40 years, and we have the up and coming people, um, students and new professors and new researchers and practitioners. And if you wanna know how to best serve Latinx community and where the, I think, again, with the culturally responsive, good science, you know, is coming from, I think, tap in to to NLPA. It's a good time to be a member. We just had our conference in Chicago and we had about 600 participants. It was a good conference. I think we're up to close to a thousand members right now. We're in a good place to, to join and see what's happening. And we need people to keep this going. I mean, I don't want there to be a time like when I saw that Chicano psychology book in the early 90s and and had to learn by accident some of this history and to know that the National Hispanic Psychological Association started in the 70s and then just kind of fell off. And luckily in the late 90s, people regrouped again and now we've had NLPA for over 20 years. And so, but the only way that happens is if we continue to build that narrative. I mean, it's unbelievable the intellectual wealth of in terms of the members that we have that that people can tap into from all different aspects of Latinx psychology, you know, whether it's child psychology, whether it's school psychology, whether what's happening with migration and immigration and trauma, cultural identity. I think connecting with this association is a is it's a gem, it's a key resource. And it's a white tapestry. Last year, our, our conference focused on the integration of health, medical health with psychology, right? And the dynamic of health and healthcare. And this year, you know, based on everything we're talking about as the current president, of course, my focus was on indigenous wisdom, right? So we had a, a lot of focus on indigeneity. And next year, for the first time ever, we're gonna have the conference in, uh, in Puerto Rico. And so it's gonna be, again, celebrating the wide tapestry of what Latinx psychology is. And, and, I, think, and I think that is what makes us, makes us strong is to be able to remember that we have this shared history and that we need to speak as a community. That's, I think, the case with a lot of communities of colors. You know, we have specific histories, but we also have things that bind us together and, we need to be able to share our own histories, but also speak as as a collective when we need to. And I think that's important as well. In your career as a person of color, what were some challenges that you faced and overcame that you would be willing to share? Wow, that's a great question. I think there's so many things I could say, but I think one of the challenges has been as much as we as much as I have professionally grown up in the multicultural movement, I remember when 
culturally the counseling diverse by Sue and Sue was like a second edition or third, you know, like I, I remember that. And so as much as the field has grown in that way, we still have struggles in terms of this psychology matters. And I think part of the struggle that um, I'll address with you specifically has been because people have talked about multicultural psychology, that was the term, you know, in, in classes, because that has begun to be part of curriculums. As I've been doing my work, part of the challenge has been, why are we talking? I remember there was a workshop we did a long time ago. It was like, are we talking culture again? It was like it, some people that really haven't integrated it you know, still feel like, what? well, there's these multicultural classes, you have these ethnic psychological associations, like what's the problem? And and those are, it's kind of like the 10 o'clock news desensitization type of effect where, you know, they hear this, oh, we need multicultural training, we need multicultural training, but they've never really, you know, as a field, I'll say as a field, we've never really systematically integrated it. So, So it has the effect of, for example, a person hearing the same words and words, and then they just kind of like become desensitized or maybe even annoyed. So the challenge has been not, sometimes it's not present, but when it is, when we, we do this work, it's like, why is this still necessary? Like, why are we talking about culture again? You know, and letting people know that it's not just another topic. It's, it's very, it's the way we approach, you know, human wellness and well-being and what you what the field doesn't notice is that it's primarily come from a western individualistic perspective and until we expand that to beyond individualism then we're really not gonna have a, a, you know a truly kind of global psychology yeah, and a true appreciation for humanity. Correct. Right. And so I guess the way I've addressed it is my work with the Institute, my work with NLPA is just noticing what I see are the gaps coming from my positionality in this world and trying to just move forward. And And another thing that, you know, my partner, Jessica, my duality in all this work with me. She is not a psychologist, but she is a mental health advocate, a community organizer, and she is a medicine. I would say she's a healer, medicine woman in this way. But we do our work together. And one of the things is sometimes we all have to go, we have to decolonize from this rush, you know, the rat race who said, you know, but we know what not to do. But sometimes what we do is we honor the turtle's pace, right? We look at nature around us and we see what connects with us. So, so there's so much work to do. And that has also been a challenge, like, which is why I kind of am here. I'm kind of there. I'm here because I'm like, I need to respond to this and do this. But really at the same time, sometimes we get frustrated and it's like, well, are you doing the work that you want to do? Are you being genuine? Are you being authentic? Are you being intentional? Sometimes for some of us, that work's going to move a little slower. Look at the turtle, one of the oldest, wisest animals on the planet. You know, sometimes honor that pace. Like being what's seemingly slow isn't always bad. It's not right? valued, unfortunately. Right? It's, not, it's not valued. 
that is in Western not culture. Yeah, it's, not it's very so, unfortunate. Yeah. Well, Dr. Samaripa, any final thoughts? I just, uh, I'm just really grateful. I just feeling a lot of gratitude for you creating the space for so many of us. And I, I want to ask forgiveness if I have said anything, you know, that was offensive or that I mistakenly um, said incorrectly, because I just hope that anytime we have conversations like this to come in a good way. And I just uh, want to say that I, I hope they come in a good way. I want to thank you. I'll say that in Nahuatl, which is Tlasokamati. Thank you. And just uh, appreciate the spaces that you are inviting us to. You're welcome. And thank you so much for the phenomenal work and leadership that you're heading up with NLPA. Fantastic members, fantastic leadership committees. I mean, we even had uh, a few of them on our previous episodes. So y'all are definitely doing some amazing work. I'll link the, uh, the membership link on our show notes and definitely include that. Well, Dr. Zamaripa, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. A huge thank you to our listeners. If you like what you've heard, please share and subscribe to our podcast, People of Color and Psychology. Other ways to support us include registering for continuing education courses or making a donation on the Multicultural Counseling Institute's website. We value your input and appreciate your continued support. You can send us an email, a message on LinkedIn, or send us a voice message on our website. Until next time, this is your host, Jack Tsen.